0: so what do you think pastor mark are we in the end times i can't tell you how many times i've heard that question have any of you wondered that question yourself any of you at home are we in the end times is this what we're talking about and of course my answer is who knows i don't know but I do know that 2020 has certain, certainly served up a smorgasbord of crises, hasn't it? The hits just keep on coming. We had a global pandemic, we have a resultant famine, we've had racial unrest, we've had violence, we have rancid political turmoil. Perhaps most frightening of all, we had a toilet paper shortage. And then if that weren't enough, then this summer we've had fires on the west coast, floods in the Midwest, hurricanes in the south. We're certainly grateful that we saw some blue skies for the last couple of days, aren't we? But this last week when I walked out and looked up and saw that red sun peeking through a very smoky haze, it was hard not to think about the book of Revelation. Would some of you agree with me on that? It has been a season of affliction, a season of challenge, even a season of suffering, some more than others. And that is why I'm so grateful that when I open the Bible, I find honest and raw stories about our spiritual parents and our spiritual grandparents who also had to face suffering. There's no pretense in there. We see them as they're going through some really difficult times. And that kind of honesty that we see expressed in Scripture, it doesn't always come easy for us, especially those of us here in Gig Harbor. We Gig Harbor Christians feel like we need to put on a mask, we need to be okay, we need to say that everything is fine, even when that is decidedly not the case. So this sermon series, we've decided we're going to rip off that mask, we are going to ask, what does it mean for us to live authentic? Christian lives even in a time of affliction. And we're going to begin this morning in the first chapter of this wonderful book of 2 Corinthians, which does about as good a job at that as any book that we will find in Scripture. And I want us to begin by listening to these really raw, painful words that come to us from the Apostle Paul as he was speaking to the Christians there in Corinth. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, and you can open your scriptures because we will be referring to them throughout today. 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9. Here's what Paul said, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Listen to this, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Listen to those words. Utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. We felt we had received a sentence of death. That's pretty transparent, isn't it? That's pretty authentic to hear the great apostle speaking in such words. And as the hits keep coming for us in 2020, I wonder if we have the courage to admit those moments when we feel so beaten up. If we have the courage to admit when we feel that, that we're in a time of despair. I'm an early morning riser. I'm up by five nearly every morning, sometimes earlier. Six o'clock would be a late start to my day. But I realized this last week that I have been staying in bed longer and longer than usual. One morning, I stayed in till eight o'clock. That's the middle of the day for me. I I was awake. I had been actually for a couple of hours. I had been praying, but I just laid there and prayed and, and held my wife as she slept. Because honestly, there was a part of me that did not want to get up and look out the window and see what awaited us. There's a part of me that knew that this was the most peaceful moment of my day and I didn't want to let it go. Any of you had feelings like that? Well, we do have to get up We do have to face the day. We do have to admit those times when we are overwhelmed. It is not healthy for us to do otherwise. And we do have to turn to God's Word to find that there is encouragement in times of fear and in times of discouragement, in times of calamity and crisis. And I have the most wonderful word for you this morning. It is a gospel word that comes to us from Paul via the Corinthians to us this day. And here is the word... Comfort. Would you say that word with me, please? Comfort. We who belong to Jesus have comfort such as the world will never know and can never know. And so I want you to listen to these opening verses that come to us from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting with verse 3. Listen to these words of comfort, and by the way, I would love for you to count the number of times that the word comfort appears, okay? Here we go, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, listen to this, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction... "...with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. It is for your salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort too, and which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer." Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. So, Holy Spirit, would you do what you have promised in this word? Would you bring comfort to us this day, and would you release us to our ministry of comfort? Set us free from our focus on ourselves, turn our hearts outward as we discover through your spirit how we might be used to bring a comfort in a very uncomfortable world. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most soothing and encouraging images that we find in Scripture is that of our Heavenly Father as He comforts us, His children. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they they comfort me. Isn't it wonderful? God calls the uh, prophet Isaiah to a ministry of bringing solace and succor to his people. Listen to these words. God speaks to Isaiah the prophet and says, Comfort, comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, he says. In our text that I just read from 2 Corinthians, Paul calls us to a ministry of comfort. We are called to be comforters. I wonder how many times, did you count how many times the word comfort appeared? How many? Ten times! Ten times! Think he's trying to drive home a point? Ten times! And so in this season, in this world which right now is so uncomfortable, what can we learn from Paul about this ministry of comfort to which we, God's people, have been called. I'm going to do something unusual this morning. I've got six things that this text teaches me. Actually, there were others, but I thought there's a limit. (laughs) Normally, I'm a two- or three-point guy, but there are six points here. They're not long, but I find them. I think the Lord laid them on my heart, and so I want you to buckle your pew belts here, and buckle your your couch belts at home, and, and lean in with me. Maybe jot these down, because I'll bet at least one or two or three of them, are going to to speak out to you. So here we go. Six things that I think Paul teaches in this passage about our ministry of comfort. First of all, our ministry of comfort makes some sense out of suffering. It makes some sense out of suffering. These past days have produced images of intense and incredible suffering, a one-year-old baby who dies after his family is trapped in the fire on a highway, a 13-year-old who is trapped in the fire and tries to escape by getting into a car, and his remains are found in that car with his dog on his lap, an assassination attempt on two young deputies, one a single mom, Suffering and evil like this, which seems so prominent these days, is the primary obstacle that keeps people from faith. Unbelievers will ask the question, why, if God is so loving and so powerful, would he allow such evil and suffering to go on? And it is a good question. And it is a hard question. I should add, Christianity is not the only religion that has to answer that question, every religion has to face up to this question of evil and suffering, and every non-religion has to answer the same questions. And I'm going to return to our response as Christians to that in just a moment. But for, for right now, I want to show you just this, that our ministry of, suf- of comfort actually makes some sense out of suffering, and we find it in verse 3. Paul says, "'Blessed be the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God.'" Did you see that? When we suffer, not only does the Holy Spirit comfort us, but the Holy Spirit teaches us how to minister that same comfort to other people. The good news of this is our suffering is never wasted. As painful it is, as it is, it is never wasted. One of the psalms says that God keeps every one of our tears in a bottle. Who better to comfort a young woman who has m- miscarried than a woman who has faced that same trauma? Or as who happened this week, who better than to comfort a man who has just discovered that he has aggressive prostate cancer than another man who has just faced prostate cancer. One of the ways that God redeems our suffering is to use it to equip us to speak into broken lives in a way that those who have never gone through what we've gone through cannot do. It redeems our suffering. Here's the second thing I learned. Our ministry of comfort links the generations. I take this from the same passage, verse 3, and I expand upon it a little bit. One of my young friends said to me something that is quite powerful this week. He said, listen, listen, we need you older people to tell us that everything is going to be okay. How true is that? Our younger generation needs the perspective of those of us who have faced hard times and made it through. One woman who was involved in that same conversation said, I remember being terrified as a child that the Russians were going to bomb us. Any of you remember the the, the great threat of the Cold War? Bomb shelters and all of the rest. We used to do air raid shelters in our schools where we would hide under the desk in the event of a nuclear attack. Like that was going to help anything. And yet we who lived through all of that terror also lived to see the Soviet Union collapse and the wall come down. We can tell that generation, that story to our next generation. And we who didn't live through it can listen to those who lived through World War II and tell us what it was like to face the Nazis. Real fascists, by the way, that's fascism, to face them and to defeat them. Every generation has hard and horrible times that they must face. And we need the comfort that comes when our Christian parents and our Christian grandparents can say to this, I've been there, you will be okay. And to to my younger brothers and sisters who are afraid, I want you to hear me say, it will be okay. Our ministry of comfort, thirdly, unites us with Christ Christ. It unites us with Christ. Earlier I mentioned that uh, Christianity has a unique response to the issue of suffering and of evil. It doesn't explain it, but it has a very unique response. Islam, Islam's response is that we suffer because Allah wills it. Hinduism, through karma, teaches that we suffer because we deserve it. Christianity doesn't give an excuse for it. But it responds in a way that every other religion in the world finds utterly absurd. And here it is. Our almighty God enters into it. Our God enters into our suffering. Verse 5. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, the God-man, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. Only Christianity does this. Jesus says, I'm not going to choose to explain to you right now all of the pain that you might experience, but here's what I will do I will step right into the midst of it. I will share it with you. I will take it, in fact, upon myself. That is the story of the cross where the Son of God gave himself up to suffering and death. It is Christianity's response to the problem of evil and pain. So when we suffer, we actually enter in to the sufferings of God incarnate, Jesus Christ himself. In that moment, we are united with him in a way that we are not otherwise. Years ago when we were building our house, I was up on the roof with one of those big framing nail guns. I tapped the nose of the gun down on my leg and drove a three-inch sinker nail all the way into underneath my kneecap. It did not tickle. And as I was being driven to the hospital, I was in pain and I was in shock. It suddenly struck me. Jesus had nails driven through his joints rusty nails, rusty spikes. He could have prevented it. If I could have prevented it, I would have. Jesus could have prevented it. But but he chose to accept that torture as payment for my sin. I began to weep in the back seat. And someone said, are you in pain? I said, no. I was weeping because in that moment of suffering, I suddenly was united with my Savior, who in his crucifixion was willing to subject himself to that which I had just experienced in some small measure. That's what suffering does for us. It unites us with our Savior who suffered for us. Here's the fourth thing I learned. I learned that the ministry of comfort redirects our self-pity. And we need to do that today. It redirects our self-pity. Verse 6 says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort. Do you see the outward turn of that? Last week I heard something from my wife, which I share with permission. My wife, something I've never heard in the 31 years of our marriage. Cindy said, I think I'm a little depressed. In all the time we've been together, Cindy has never said she was depressed. She's my rock. I'm the one who gets depressed. That's my thing. And it's her job over the years to encourage me and to calm me and to reassure me and to champion me. But suddenly in that moment, the tables were turned. Suddenly it was my turn, my privilege to comfort my sweetheart, to be her encourager, to be her rock, to be her champion to turn my attention away from myself and toward her. When we respond to the Spirit's call to be comforters, it redirects our self-pity toward other people. Here's the fifth thing that I learned from this. Our ministry of comfort strips away our self-sufficiency and reveals God's power. It strips away our self-sufficiency, and it reveals God's power. Verse 9, verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us, pay attention, rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. Deliver, deliver, deliver. I want to share a quote from Pastor Ellis. We were talking about this this week, and it's a lengthy quote, but I was typing as fast as I could because it seemed so profound to me. Ellis said, I've been asking God, why are you piling on more and more? And I sense he is saying, because you are still looking for comfort in earthly things. I'm stripping it all away until you are at the end of your rope. Suffering is the only time that we can and must truly trust God. And a year like this forces us to ask ourselves, are we relying on God or not? 2020 should bring an end to ourselves, an end to our self-sufficiency, and if it doesn't, there is something wrong with our faith. End quote. Do we believe that God will deliver us or not? Cindy and I were driving back from church the other day, and she said something very provocative. She said, I wonder if we really believe what we say we believe about heaven. She said, I don't think so. Because if we did, we would not cling so desperately to this fear of losing our life. If you are clinging desperately to your plans, if you are clinging to your comfort, to your will, to your safety, desperately, perhaps this experience of suffering has not yet stripped away from you your own idolatry. Our only comfort in a time such as this, the only comfort that we can offer to others is to remember that we cannot rely on ourselves, but we can rely on a God who raises the dead to life. Here's the sixth and last point that I draw from this passage. Our ministry of comfort is unleashed through prayer. Verse 11, you also must help us pray so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Tuesday night we gathered for our Kingdom Come Prayer event. It was a great turnout and I don't think a person left here who did not feel like they had entered into the courts of our King. So, asked the nosy pastor, were you there? And if not, why not? Again and again I have summoned you to prayer. Again and again I have entreated you to prayer. Again and again I have said, if this season will not drive us to our knees, what will? God, in a way we cannot understand, responds to the corporate prayers of his people to bring comfort to a suffering world. And if you are not yet praying, I beg you to add your voice to the voice of others who are entreating the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You're called to a ministry of comfort. Are you rising to that call? I want to close my message with a quote from Samuel Rutherford. He was a 17th century Presbyterian pastor and professor from St. Andrews University, my alma mater in Scotland. I don't know if you're going to find this quote comforting or not. But I hope so because it reminds us of how God takes even the worst of our suffering and uses it for our good. So... I invite you be comforted with these words. Rutherford writes, "The greatest temptation out of hell is to live without trials." A pool of stagnant water will turn a pool of standing water will turn stagnant. Faith grows more with the sharp winter storm in its face. Grace withers without adversity. You cannot sneak quietly into heaven without a cross. Crosses form us into His image. They cut away the pieces of our corruption. Lord, cut, carve, and wound. Lord, do anything to perfect Your image in us and make us fit for Your glory. And so that is our prayer this day, O God. It is not a prayer that we are inclined to pray. It is not a prayer that we necessarily want to pray. But it is a prayer that we must pray. Well, We've asked you to deliver us. And so far, Lord, you've not seen fit to do so. So then in the midst of suffering and affliction and whatever else we might be experiencing right now, Instead, we ask that you would use this to wound us, to carve us, to cut us, to shape us for glory. That you would use it to create in us the heart of Christ. You would unite us with Christ. That you would use us to turn our self-pity out toward others. That you would use us to link the generations that are often so divided. That you would use this to drive us to our needs, our knees in prayer. That you would use this to strip away our self-sufficiency. And to remember that only you can be relied upon. You who raise the dead to life. Only you can do that. And so God, until that day when you set us free from this hard year, we pray that you would use the the cold winds of adversity to form us into the people you want us to be, to make us braver, truer, more faithful, more courageous. And in the midst of all of it, until you set us free, God, would you comfort us with the comfort that the world can never know? And then would you help us to comfort others as we turn our hearts away from our pain and to the needs of the world around us? For we ask this through Christ our Lord.